Hello and welcome to Manifesto, the podcast that asks the question, what would a fairer, more equal, more sustainable society look like and how could it be brought into being? I hope you're all doing okay and hanging in there. I don't know about you, but I've been finding this lockdown much harder than the others. and I'd imagine lots of people are feeling the same. Maybe it's the weather, who knows? But apparently it's going to get warm at the weekend, so bring on spring, that's what I'm thinking. Anyway, in this episode, I chat to Jeff and Deborah from Breadshare, a social enterprise on a mission to make real bread accessible to everyone. I'm really interested in social enterprises and their potential to change the face of the economy by putting people, planet and purpose before profit. I was speaking to Jeff and Deborah on Zoom and they were in their bakery during the conversation and Jeff had to get up halfway through the chat to take a loaf of bread out of the oven, which I thought was rather lovely. But here they are, Jeff and Deborah are on Manifesto episode four. So can you tell us a bit about Breadshare and what it does? Do you want to start? <laughs> sure. Uh, Breadshare is a social enterprise that was formed in uh, 2011 in the Scottish borders by a group of kind of like-minded individuals who really just was about promoting the health benefits of what we call real bread. And real bread has a definition in the UK. Uh, there's a real bread campaign and uh, it basically means bread that's made without any additives and unfortunately 95% of all the bread made in the UK fails that test so um, it was thought that we should we should go out there and promote the fact that you can make this kind of bread and you can eat this kind of bread and it won't give you the same horrible side effects it'll give you more better nutrition and use local food and all of those sorts of things. So that's uh, that's where Breadshare started. And we were in a barn on a farm, on an organic farm in the borders. And we moved into Edinburgh in about 2014. Yeah, well, end, of, end of 2014. End of 2014. And uh, just took it from there, really. Yeah. So before lockdown, so this has been an interesting... 2020 was an interesting year. So before lockdown, we actually had um, two bakeries and two shops in Edinburgh. So, um, but at the moment we're down to sort of one bakery, one shop, part-time, not full-time. So um, just because we've downsized for the, for the lockdown, obviously. Yeah, I'm interested, inter- really interested in um, the idea of social enterprise um, and mm-hmm. Breadshare being not non-profit. I was just wondering if you could explain a bit about what that means and how it differs from more kind of commercial business models. <laughs> so I, I like to say it's for we're for more than profit. So uh, basically we make our business decisions based on our objectives, which are social objectives. So things like promoting the health benefits of real bread and being organic and using local and being ecologically sustainable and those sorts of things are the... the um, it was very important when we started that we got that clear with everyone that we were... Because um, everyone just wanted a community bakery and their own bakery in the, in the small farm where we were. But um, we, we sort of got everybody together and said why are we what are we here for what's our purpose and and we thrashed it out and those things that Debbie just listed uh, have been with us ever since for the last 10 years it's really what's guided us going forward so the difference with a social enterprise is it's still a business 
but it's um, it, it has social objectives. It's not just there to make money so you can put it in your pocket for your retirement. In fact, if that's what you want, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not only that. It's I suppose it's I, I think it's important that the decision making is not financially based. But I mean, the only financial objective we have is to break even. So and it's not like we make a profit and then we reinvest the profits. We actually don't make the profit because we're always reinvesting. We're reinvesting all the time. I was asked once by a potential commercial investor, why don't you just put your prices up and raise your funds yourself? And I'm like, well, that would go against our social objectives, which is to make this kind of bread accessible to people. So we can't charge a fiver for a loaf and we don't. Um, and, and that's the real difference is that as a social enterprise, it enables us to produce high quality, high street sourdough loaves made with organic ingredients and flour for less than possibly half the price of a high street bakery. Yeah, that's great. And so all the all the money goes back and flows back into the business kind of circularly, I suppose, rather than yeah, yeah. shareholders putting off the profits. We keep it, I think it's a fair price for a quality product. I mean, that's, and that's the real difference with a community enterprise or a social enterprise producing food than for a commercial enterprise. There's no way that you should be buying your bread and milk from a supermarket, from a large corporation whose only interest is to make money. Yeah, I guess that leads on to my next question, really, which is why, why was it that you both when you were founding Breadshare, why, why did you want to start it as a social enterprise? What made you go down that route? Was it, yeah, um, skepticism about bigger bigger supermarkets and, and more corporate kind of ways of doing things? I don't, I don't think it was that specific. I, I mean, I think that that, that was definitely part of it. Yeah, because we were, <laughs> we were at that time of life where we were looking for something more authentic is what I like to call it, as opposed to um, just working and uh, so we really wanted to make a, a difference to people's lives. And, um, and our own. And we our own, we yeah. were both IT consultants, highly paid um, individuals. <laughs> now we don't, now we no, don't get, now we're not. <laughs> no. um, but you started, but, um, you started with, from, from the perspective of thinking about what your purpose would be, I suppose, yeah. rather than what yeah. your profits would be. Precisely. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. And we still we struggle with that now. We have a community board here at the at the corn mill, and um, and it's run by there's a couple of volunteer community members on the board who are accountants, and they just don't get it. I think one of them's coming around to it after about eighteen months and sort of understands that our shareholders in a community benefit society have a different view from a commercial shareholder. So. They put the money in to achieve the outcomes, not to make a dividend. We may we may create a small dividend in some years' time, but that's not our focus. Our focus is to achieve the social outcomes that we set out to, to achieve. And that's what we ask people to put their money and their support behind, not, not us making a, a huge profit. And that makes a big difference on the products we make and how we make them and how and the staff we employ and everything else it it, it really is fundamental it's a it's a grassroots difference between a social enterprise and a commercial enterprise 
Yeah, so it's quite radically different the way you're describing it's it. It's quite radically different. different. And thinking about the day to day, how how does that model um, how does that model look? How does it work from day to day? What are some of the other things that you Breadshare make sure it does um, to <laughs> to be more to be more kind of socially conscious, environmentally conscious? I'm thinking about the way you pay. I think you have an attitude of, of being open to, to to collaboration and be open to other um, social enterprises. So it kind of puts you in in the mindset of there are other people out there trying to achieve broadly the same goals as you. And uh, rather than seeing them as competition, you should attempt to work with them. And so, you know, being not for profit, you start to think that way because if you're for profit, you'd like to think, keep things to yourself. You don't like to share your secrets. Yeah, there's no intellectual property in a social enterprise. Definitely <laughs> not. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. It's all transparent. It's all open. And it's we give it away, basically. We're here to help other people do what we do. We're here to... We do collaborate. Collaboration, as Jeff said, is a key thing. Rather than competition, we don't have a competitive view of the world. We have a co collaborative view, and that means even non-social enterprises. So here in in the in the newer organisation, we're building relationships with other small businesses, which are family-run, family-owned, like farms that are producing meat and small dairies and and all those other local food producers. And it's and and I don't I don't even know if they they think we're any different than them um, because we're a community-based organisation. I don't think a lot of people don't understand what a community-based organisation is. And um, to be frank, neither do we when we first started. We pretty much were playing it by ear when we ten years ago, and it and it is constantly evolving. I, I couldn't say that there's a solid definition for what we do even now but i think we're we know a lot more than we did 10 years ago <laughs> yeah and the idea of it being community based maybe you could just say a little bit more about what that means does that mean that people in the community can contribute money or time to breadshare well it's all of those things breadshare is even a weirder beast in that it has no shareholders so nobody owns it so it's not mine it's not Jeff's, it's so not it, the community's, it's not anybody's. The structure is a, a community It's a community interest, interest company. company. Whereas the one down here at Warwick Bridge is a community benefit society, which does have community shareholders. So community, the people in the local community contribute and buy shares and they can buy as little or as much as they like. And each shareholder has an equal vote. So one vote per shareholder, no matter how many shares you have. So the richest people can't dominate and poorest people have an equal say and uh which is a nice nice way of doing it there's a lot of different structures that social enterprises can be you know be formed as and uh these are just two that we've done sort of more recently we've been involved in other community benefit societies as well and i suppose the structure doesn't really matter it's and whether you've got shareholders or not doesn't really matter either. It's that you involve the community in what you do and you're thinking of the community when you make decisions. You're not thinking of how can I make more money? It's certainly um, certainly not going to be a model that you grow into a huge centralized enterprise. You, It's more a distributed model where small is beautiful and you'd have lots of small bakeries or mills or food businesses or whatever it is uh, spread over a bigger geographic area. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, it's certainly not a centralized model. 
No, so it's it feeds like, in feeds into everything yeah. that you do really. Yes. So it's about it running, is. running, running it more democratically, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Maybe, although I'm a benevolent dictator in a way. <laughs> Sitting at the top, just directing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think you need to keep. Uh, Keep the keep the faith, I suppose. The, the reason that we're probably still here is because we're still here, and I've seen a lot of social enterprises sort of come and go and fall by the wayside because they are governed by committees, and committees are difficult to make decisions, and the people on the committee changes, and the focus changes, and all of those sorts of things. So a, a consistency of leadership and I mean, this is where social entrepreneurs come in. I mean, you kind of need that person who holds the vision. And that's that's what's become evident to me over the last 10 years anyway. Uh, and that's us in this case. And that's not just for Breadshare, but for Warwick Ridge Corn Mill as well. Yeah, I'd love to know a bit more about about that, how management works in a social enterprise like Breadshare. Is, does that mean then that every large decision, every important decision is is decided by voting members or no it's it really run by board just okay. like a normal yeah it's yeah. a board yeah. um, so they you can have agms like any other company where um where you can put decisions to members um, but that really i mean there's really decisions that big to go to members big decisions really big decisions would go course, to members yeah. but of course but rarely that happens we're a small enterprise it's but the board the board the board is made up of of, mem- of people in the com- volunteers in the community. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to just ask a bit more specifically about bread, well, um, if I can. I feel like bread gets a bit of a bad press um, in terms it of thinking does. about health. It's seen as full of carbs and not that nutritious, but I'd love to just hear a bit more about real bread as you've spoken about it and what some of its health benefits are and the kind of ins and outs of how it differs from the, sh- the bread on the bread on the shelves, bread on the shelves in the supermarket. Well, it's um, yes, it's true. It's it's a carbohydrate um, from the macronutrient point of view, but um, and I think it does get a lot of bad press, but also gets a lot of um, unwarranted good press. You know, if they're talking about supermarket bread and modern bread, bread made industrially in a factory, because that isn't good for you, and it's actually making people sick. It's squarely responsible for the rise in gluten intolerance and, uh, and, and, and other health related issues like uh, wheat intolerance um, because of the huge amount of additives and chemicals that are used to actually make a loaf of bread in a factory and 99% of the bread it consumed in the UK is made in a factory that's just the long and the short of it because for them to make any money they have to produce huge volumes of it and to make huge volumes of it you have to do it in a factory and to do that it has to be made in a, um, a chemically supported process, which was developed in the 1950s specifically for that purpose. Real to, make, bread, to make more money, basically. Yeah. Less nutrition for, for more money, for nutrition more profit. Is the cost. Yeah, the cost is nutrition yeah. and, and the, the outcome is profit. We've That's had, all they want. We've had arguments with people who run these plant bakeries and you know their, their concept of quality varies greatly from ours. Their concept of quality is that they can reduce the amount of loaves per hour that they've set out to do to a certain standard. Wacko, that's great, but it's not doing your customer, your consumer any good because they're eating something that is basically full of sugar and it's making them sick and it's not actually as nutritious as it should be. It's using wheat varieties now that have been bred 
and hybridized to be less nutritious than they were 50 to 60 years ago. It's using chemicals uh, that uh, you, your body doesn't need or doesn't want. And uh, really bread is a basic substance. It's flour, water, and salt. And you, you can get away with the salt if you want to. Industrial and, bread has 30 something ingredients. Yeah, and it's made in a couple of hours. Real bread is a fermented pro product as it has always been since the dawn of civilization, basically. Thousands of years. You know, and uh, <laughs> humans discovered many decades many generations ago that fermented products are good for you. Fermented products have the advantages of preservation, food preservation, but also Easy the ability to digest, to, to, to digest themselves. Um, your, guts, your gut is actually um, rebelling against the bread that we're forced to eat. And people think it's great because it's soft and it's white and it's wonderful, but they don't actually stop to think about that's not actually bread. It's a product that is a bread-like substance in the words of Michael Pollan. Mm -hmm. And um, people just just buy into that. They don't really think too deeply about what they're eating. They're just happy to get something that's cheap and it fills them up for about an hour. Mm. <laughs> there's another loaf ready. <laughs> yeah, there's another loaf ready there. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> they, it's... They, also, they also don't, it's not valued anymore. So it's, it's yeah, the supermarkets have used it and milk as a loss leader to get you in the door. And uh, people don't value bread anymore. And it, and probably wisely so the stuff that industrial bread that's sold in supermarkets you shouldn't feed the animals you shouldn't feed the birds like they'll die if you if you feed them that exclusively so why feed it to your children it's it's of all the processed foods that are bad for us bread is the worst and they and it and we've been doing it the longest so we we're actually really good at producing a really bad substance <laughs> and bread, bread's the top of the the iceberg the tip of the iceberg in processed foods and it's the, it's the worst culprit basically so it's a good one to attack yeah like you say bread making is an ancient activity and it's funny that it's taken us so long to come full circle back to this more authentic simple way yeah. of, of making bread on a on a wide um on a wide scale do you, do you see an increasing appetite though for more sustainably sourced and, and better quality bread and i suppose more widely other products as well do you think this is something people are sort of waking up to i suppose um, more more so now definitely the the world we live in uh and the space we occupy is uh, it's definitely an important part. The We are also um, bread shares organically certified, which it's an interesting statistic that there's only four bakeries in the whole of Scotland organically certified and two of them are social enterprises. So um, it's, it's a bit of a sad story north of the border. South of the border, there's a lot more because I think it is a growing trend that people want organic and sustainable. There's a bit of a tension between local and organic uh, and we see that here in Cumbria because we're in a water mill that we haven't got certified organic yet and um, and local grains are not necessarily the organic ones a lot of the organic grains are being imported and coming from places like Kazakhstan and Australia and Canada and those sorts of places whereas we have a real focus at the corn mill to to produce flour from locally produced uh, grains and that's important to us too. I mean, we'd ideally like it to be local and organic, but that's not always possible. And there's a bit of a trade-off there because local's good too. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, our ideal world would be that we didn't have to make that choice. 
But, no, so um, it comes down to a bit of a decision between air miles and chemicals, I suppose. Maybe well, sometimes just, you just have to choose the lesser of, lesser of two evils at the minute. Yeah. The other thing is that um, there's a big, there's a growing movement about local food as well, which says that the local varieties that grow in your local area are things that you should be eating and you shouldn't be eating the stranger varieties that come from other lands, you know. So you're actually better off eating the honey that's produced by the bees that are, you know, pollinating the flowers that are in your back garden than the ones that are doing it in some other country. So because those it's sort of like allergy buildups and all sorts of things that you don't you don't have allergies to the flowers that are in your backyard, so you don't get allergies to the food that's produced from, you know, the local environment. And the local environment is an important thing. It's also important to promote local food and food sovereignty as well. So it's it's more than just chemicals and for organic and versus local. I, I mean, honestly, I'd like everything to be organic and local. Yeah, that would be the ideal. I, I have one more question, I suppose. It's quite a big one to finish, but what do you think social enterprises like Breadshare have big potential to kind of change the face of the economy for the better? It's really, it's really inspirational, really, hearing you talk about how you just decided to start start this thing in this way, um, and to kind of take yeah take the focus off making profit and really shine a light on purpose and doing things that benefit the community and and setting up a an organisation or that yeah, is, is really about benefiting the community and the planet um, serving the community rather than making money. Do you think that social enterprise is perhaps part of the way forward and a way out of the, the crisis that we face, the, cri- the social crisis and the climate crisis? Yeah, I think, I think it definitely is a possibility. It's a, again, it's a, you need to, to spread the network and have a lot of small community-based social, social enterprises producing at least in our instance, all of your main basic food stuff. I mean, you shouldn't have your basic food in the hands of large corporations who don't care about the quality of it or, or, or what it's doing to you. Um, it's quite amazing that food doesn't get tested as much as cosmetics. <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing that um, we could be the benefit, you know, I mean, we, we were subjected to trans fats in the 70s and all sorts of things, and, and nobody's paid for that. I mean, trans fats were man-made created by margarine that was going to save us from being have heart, heart attacks and heart disease, and instead it doubled the heart disease and gave us heart disease, and, and nobody paid for that. And, and that, that sort of thing happens over and over and over again, and the state that bread's in is just one example another example of where that model has gone wrong. Now, I'm not saying that social enterprise is going to solve all the problems of the world, but just looking at local food and basic foodstuffs, and and it should be a basic human right that we should be able to get uh, food at a reasonable price with a high quality that's locally produced in our community, not imported or frozen, you know. I mean, there's instances of we come from Australia and there's instances where the, the bread that was supposedly baked in store in Australia was actually brought from Ireland as frozen dough. I mean, it's just bizarre. Ireland's not even a big wheat producer. I mean, I don't understand. 
And if, if we live in a society that can tolerate or actually support and sustain that sort of economic model, that it's better for someone at large supermarket in Australia to bake off frozen dough bought from and, and, and imported from Ireland, then something's fundamentally wrong. I mean, we've got farmers here around us who grow wheat and people in the UK think that their wheat's not good enough for bread. It's perfectly fine if you grow the right varieties and you're, a far, and you're a baker as we are. It's not any good for industrial processes because they've made it so that they've cut the local market completely out. The cheaper, the harder the wheat, the higher the protein content, the more gluten, the better for the industrial process. But for us local guys, we can take, we got a big tolerance. 8,000 years we've been making bread this way and we didn't have wheat allergies and we didn't have celiac disease and we didn't have gluten intolerance. In the last 200, all of a sudden it's, a, it's an epidemic. Um, so something's wrong. <laughs> and so what we're trying to do is the only way to change that is by small steps. And that's every individual can make a small change. And that's what we're trying to do. And we yeah. have in 10 years, we've made some small change. Jeff, Deborah, thanks so <laughs> much. Thanks so much for talking to me. That was, that was really no great. Problem. Thank you. Thank That was Manifesto episode four. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. It was great to chat to two people going against the grain, if you'll pardon the pun, of business and trying to do things in a way that puts people and the environment above profit and really seeks to benefit the community rather than damage it. I've got some great guests lined up for the next few weeks. I'm going to be chatting to Richard from Rewilding Britain and somebody from the Forefront Project all about racist policing. So yeah, watch this space. Please tune in again soon and review, like, subscribe, share, whatever it is you can do. Thanks for listening.